Welcome back to Conscious Founders. I'm your host, Xander Ford. In today's episode, we interview Nanea Reeves, co-founder of Trip Incorporated. Nanea and her co-founder, Zach Norman, have achieved quite a bit in the mobile gaming arena. They have such deep backgrounds and are really truly vetted industry leaders in this field. They were the first to develop mobile games for the Nokia phone. They were the first to develop mobile games for flip phones, first mobile games for iPod. <laughs> they had three of the first five iPhone games, and I don't know how many hundreds of millions of iPhone games there are now, but three of the first five, that's impressive. And they were involved in the first multiplayer mobile games. So it's no surprise that Tim Chang of Mayfield Ventures chose to invest in them. They are skilled, vetted, and experienced. Nanea and her co-founder intend to make virtual reality games that are immersive and mood-altering. We talked about the ability to dial up moods and basically put on a headset and say, I'd like to feel energized or I'd like to feel... Uh, relaxed, or I'd like to feel X, Y, and Z. Well, is there a program that helps us do that? Perhaps there is. I really enjoyed our conversation. Nainea is a dynamic and fierce leader. I look forward to seeing what's going to come out of their company. If you like this podcast, please tell your friends, consciousfounders.org. As always, stay healthy. For joining us on the show, I appreciate it. You're welcome. Uh, we're down here in Upload VR, um, Los Angeles. That's right, the LA crew here. <laughs> I'm sitting with Nanea Reeves, founder of Trip, and CEO, co-founder of a great partner, Zach Norman, and we've done four companies together. So this is the one we're most excited about. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I'm super excited to be here and and hear about. Trip is T R I P P. Two P's. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about you and your path to getting here. Sure. Well, um, you know, first, just for those who don't know, Trip is an, a new startup. We're recently funded and we are focused on creating mood altering experiences using VR as the first method of delivery. It, it gives us that level of immersion. Um, that's required to get a bigger response from audio-visual stimuli that um, we're essentially trying to create mood on demand and give, give you the power to change the way you feel um, in a safe manner without taking any substances. Although it could be a companion app as well <laughs> to any of your you know, other... Um, journeys that you might be taking. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And what brought you to, to want to start uh, co-found this company? Yeah, well, similar to the conversation you and I were having just before you hit record here, <laughs> that, um, you know, I've, I've worked in the video game industry for a while and I have had some success, um, some with my partner, Zach, and some separately. And uh, I experienced a, a lot of personal loss. And um, it started with my sister dying from a drug overdose suddenly and very tragically. 
and then I lost my husband and my mother to cancer. And I took a step back at that moment. Um, and you know, what those kind of life events really shake you to realize is that life is very precious and we really don't know how much time we have, you know, left with each other and, and even in our own journeys. And so what I found myself um, looking at was this clearing in front of me, not by choice, but by circumstance. And it made me really think deeply on what do I want to experience and what do I want to build. And, you know, I've taken everything that I've learned from working in the video game industry and um, having a, a big data background as well and uh, and trying to figure out how you can bring that all together in a new way to create something that might have a positive impact and um, and how I spend my day and my time you know, thinking about my own contribution and my impact. And every interaction has a ripple effect and everything that we produce has a ripple effect. And I think sometimes I've navigated my life through this lens of how everything's impacting me. And that shift, you know, really two years ago started for me to think, how am I impacting those around me? That's beautiful. and the. The acts of service. I'm finding so many healers and technologists in this space that are are just making that shift from the me to the other. And yeah. Um, and well, and as you know from data, it becomes this. I always looked at a, a data foundation for any product or service that I've I've worked on as a way to facilitate a communication with the end user. You know, you can do focus group testing, but how they interact with something and that data stream, it is a conversation. And you can get something just stood up and start that communication. And that's kind of how I've approached everything. And there's a way to do that in our own journeys as leaders and uh, also just as humans navigating the planet. It's, you know, really listening and looking at what's what's emerging in front of us. And I think you're right, there's a huge shift um, happening with people being more mindful about even how they approach their work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was just at, a, at an event the other day listening to this, um, this guy, he's a, he's a French um, doctor, and we were talking about the differences in culture between the American culture and some of the European culture that he grew up with. And mm. he said, what was it? Well, it was primarily his thesis was that in the European cultures that he was exposed to, the the group, uh, it was more of a group mindset. Mm. And the, he's like, you Americans, it's all about me, me, me. It's all about me, me first. And he was making a generalization. Right, but from it, a French point of view. Right, yeah, from a French point of view, <laughs> which is great, you know. Yeah, um, of course. <laughs> and and it was just fascinating. There's some truth to, to that experience. I also believe it's um, that humans go through phases of life, and the earlier phases are about me, me, me. Yeah, because you're still trying to figure out yeah. who me is, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's wonderful as we 
as we age and yeah. we have the opportunity to have that shift and recognize that the service that from my experience that the service um, that I provide to others uh, with compassion empathy mm-hmm. and the mission of understanding mm-hmm. um, really actually benefits me as well and I can marry that with the, the background and the knowledge and the wisdom that has been acquired over the the activities that were me focused right um, you know the professional uh, experience that that I've had and it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing is you're taking all this rich information and um, knowledge and working knowledge of of industry and the gaming industry and you're creating platforms for people to go inside understand themselves a little bit better and mm-hmm. um, really yeah and it also um, well God, there's so many things that I think about um, based on what you just said I tend to look at my life as a single canvas and maybe when I was a kid my parents painted some pictures on it you know and uh, um, and some of them were actually pretty dark you know and and for a long time especially through my teenage years I, I let that painting define who I was and then it was through just the practice of finding my own journey through it and and some meditation that I realized I can I found this pot of gesso um, primer that I can reprime that canvas and so all those previous experiences don't necessarily have to define what I'm painting now but they can they do add um, uh, texture and depth to the new painting and so I look at my work and life experiences all holistically in that um, context I think when you separate one from the other it can actually um, at least for me it creates kind of an aberrated state you know because if you're thinking of your work as something separate from your life and yet you're spending 10 to 12 hours at it that I think that can be very harmful oh yeah it causes a a big division in the identity of self Mm -hmm. and um, and representation of self and if it gets taken away from you then you're in crisis and chaos and how you're attaching to that and so um, but you know meditation practice is also kind of that journey you were just talking about a lot of people will approach it initially for the benefits that it gives you. I I need to be more calm, I want to reduce stress. But with dedicated practice, you will ultimately find yourself at a a doorway to transformation. And suddenly you realize I'm, I'm feeling gratitude even though everything's falling apart around me. Or, and then that leads you to want, for some reason, I think, with dedicated practice, the shift towards empathy, Mm -hmm. compassion happens, and it really starts by giving it to yourself, Mm -hmm. you know? And so when we define our product for trip, we're thinking about that journey. 
you know, how do we, one, just attach people to the benefit? I just heard my dog barking uh-huh. in the back. Wait, what's your dog's name? Her name's Chola. Uh-huh. After the cactus? No, after the Al- Latina gangster. Okay, awesome. <laughs> She's got that fiery uh-huh. spirit, you know? Because that's the other thing. As we get, we try to be more conscious human beings, right? You also need to get in touch with that, what the Tibetans, you know, call that wrathful deity. The fire, yeah. It's what, it gives you momentum, it gives you the power to slice through illusion or bullshit, you know? <laughs> Can I say that on Yeah, that? you say whatever okay. you want. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm thinking, you know, about all of that with Trip, and yet, as we developed trip and we're we're targeting a a year-end release we'll do some beta releases throughout this year Um, we're finding that as we stand things up and we go oh we think it should go this way as we experience it it tells us go down go over here Mm -hmm. evolve this area more so it's um it's been really fun to apply this way of I'm thinking about my life also to the way that we're building the product as opposed to specking it all out and handing that spec to a development team Mm -hmm. yeah more of an iterative process yeah and uh, and also letting the product kind of emerge you know it's that emergence Mm -hmm. um, like consciousness and yeah yeah Yeah. having the overall vision and um, recognizing that your efforts are going to be met with the right team to, to build it. Absolutely, and I felt that when even when we were fundraising, and I had met with just a, a few um, venture people that I've been close with throughout the years, just to start getting feedback on the idea, because it's kind of an out there idea. and. One of them said, you know, you should really just stick to games. That's what you guys are great at or, or mobile content. And, um, but when we met Tim Chang at Mayfield, he, um, he just leaned back and he just said, I have been waiting for someone to come in and do this pitch. And so it was, we knew right away that he was the person to help us nurture this idea. So really, you know, also I think from a fundraising standpoint, it's it's about um, you have you have to be thoughtful about who you take money from, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like your most important hire, and you cannot fire them, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. if it doesn't work uh-huh. out. And then you know that voice in the room can really send you in directions that maybe are not right for you mm-hmm. and so um, that comes from with uh, comes from experience of having mm-hmm. you know all all variations on that theme you know in my work career um, working with different investors and different board members um, it's really important who you take money from absolutely yeah. yeah I was talking to someone the other day about well, I called it smart money and dumb money, but there, there are nuances to it. I, right. I was expressing to them about, oh, there's smart money, which is you know someone who's um, connected maybe in an industry. You're going to bring them on as an advisor, and mm-hmm. their, their, um, their consciousness and their awareness and all of their experience is going to provide a lot of value to you. And then there's what I called dumb money, which was um, someone who is maybe no idea what 
you're doing, but they think it's a good idea and they don't have any relevant industry experience or contacts and they're just going to kind of give you some money and let you run with it. And sometimes that can work, right? If Absolutely. You, you know, it, yeah, it wasn't good or bad. It was just, um, it was an observation of, right. of the different kinds of investors. But there are, there are, there are. I think there is bad money as well. Where, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, where yeah. you have a good idea, but their interests are in an, mm-hmm. another arena. Yeah. And it doesn't mean they're bad. It's just the fit is not right. Yeah, so maybe we'll uh, coin a new term, aligned money versus aligned. Misaligned I like money. that, yeah, because I'm trying to get out of sort of that dualistic thinking yeah. of good or bad. Mm-hmm. but. I, I do think we have to um, be aware of how we structure. It's kind of like dating, you know, it's more than I hope he likes me, you know, for the criteria. You have to sort of ask a few more things of yourself mm. and the interaction. Yeah, um, that's, that's a good analogy. <laughs> and yeah, and business is often very much like a marriage. Um, oh, for sure. In fact, sometimes more compressive because you're under such intense pressures sometimes in the business world where you know you're working in the startup world especially sometimes um, i was working 14 hour days yeah you know for seven days a week sometimes yeah for sure we're definitely and, doing that now and then you get you know this you know you're human like if you're working 14 hour days or eight hour days you're still going to have some stressors that come up and, yeah even if um, it's something you're immensely passionate about that you yeah. love doing yeah. It's how you manage that stress as well. Uh-huh. You know, I just came from a two-day meditation retreat with John Kabat-Zinn, and um, it, it was great because it was the, it was a room full of business leaders, really trying to figure out how do I evolve how I interact with my day-to-day. You know, even just self-directing is really important, and understanding that as a business leader. You have direct impact on everyone around you. And it's not an even exchange. You know, that we really have to be mindful of the fact that how I am in my interactions with the team not only affects them and their productivity and their decision making, but it also affects everyone they go home to. And so when you have that sense of responsibility you know, do I have to be an asshole when I give that note or, do you know, like, uh, and so really just trying to think about um, ways to communicate that are more effective and thoughtful and considerate, I think, too. Mm-hmm. It's not like we give hugs all day long to each other, but um, it's just yeah. more, you know, just being, I have a sense of responsibility there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, holding the overall picture and Sometimes I call it tough love or fierce love mm-hmm. where, you know, sometimes somebody needs to be told, hey, don't do that. Like if a child's running out into the street, don't do that. You know, you have to be firm mm-hmm. and it's okay to be firm. Like you were talking about the, right. the DD that's cutting through bullshit. It's, right. it's important sometimes to be like, I'm going to save you a lot of pain and time. Right. Don't do that. But it can be done in a way that doesn't have to harm the person. Yeah, and absolutely. that I think is when when the intention is to 
help or drive us all mm-hmm. towards success. I think then the alignment, going back to mm-hmm. your other word, which I love that, you know, mm-hmm. aligned um, uh, investing, aligned mm-hmm. leadership mm-hmm. and team building. Fierce love. Fierce love. That's good. <laughs> Raffle deal. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I'm excited to see you know where your products are going. Sure. I, I've had um, a vision for VR products that enable um, humans to to drop into states of relaxation and yep. um, potentially, uh, as you were talking about, reprimer some of those paintings that um, we we um, built when we were younger. Some of our earliest memories as children the the earlier neural networks that were built mm-hmm. um, can have patterns that really impact how we act in society how we speak to ourselves and through meditation uh, which is you know what a three thousand four thousand year old practice um, it's possible to get in touch with those voices and those paintings and those patterns and say questions and say, you know, is that how I want to live? That's absolutely um, the right way to think about it, for sure. Um, we are, our first trip experience is a chill trip. Meditation is an aspect of it, but we're trying to approach it from a new, more experiential um, way. We're not going to tell you to get into our environment and then close your eyes. Um, it, I don't see it as replacing meditation. Um, I used the first part of our experience the other night to help me decompress after work to get into my mm-hmm. meditation practice. So we're hoping that people start to take it on and use it in ways that are um, beneficial to them and then um, hopefully that feedback loop will happen where we can continue to evolve the product. Uh, Our goal right now with the chill trip is can we trigger a state of calm in a 10-minute period that um, is stimulated through different sound frequencies and adaptive music layer, some visuals that um, are designed to help rebalance you um, and then we take a, a, our you know what we're good at very simple gameplay mechanics that are designed to get you into that flow state where they require concentration and and being in the present moment and it's really kind of we hope that it'll program you or reprogram you to understand what it feels like when you're actually just mindfully aware of what's happening around you. And so by taking you out of this reality and putting you into a trip, you know, just that act in and of itself gives you that new reality. It's a starting point. And once we have that framework, we hope that we can create different moods for you, like pump up or focus or maybe more of a spiritual um, uh, transformative journey. Um, but that being said, like I, I said earlier, I want to give it space to also guide us um, uh, where it can go. The thing that's exciting to me about virtual reality is it is exactly that. It's an alternate 
reality to what we've all agreed on through maybe even a shared hallucination that this reality um, uh, that we're all experiencing, you and I are having right in this room now, that we can put on these devices and through technology actually allow ourselves to experience an alternate reality mm-hmm. that you're in control of in the sense that you can take it off and um, reemerge um, uh, to right now, right here. Um, and, and I don't think we really understand in the big picture what that means for us as humans. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people have talked about it throughout the years with hallucinogenics and psychedelic drug experiences and every culture seems to have that as part of their ritual Um, and now in this digital age you know we're hoping that we can be part of that toolkit in a new new way Mm. well that spawns so many questions (laughs) i bet it does to me too in my mind that's why i want to investigate uh it do you know yeah yeah it's fascinating and i will say that vr is just currently the method of delivery that we feel can facilitate I see newer devices or new types of devices down the road that might integrate augmented reality, mixed reality, extreme reality in much more seamless ways. I think it's still very much like the old cell phone stage with the briefcase way back in the 70s, mm-hmm. do you know? that are 80s. Yeah, Miami Vice yeah. is, you know, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're at that level. Uh, we haven't even gotten to smartphone yet. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible where the technology's going and the pace and speed that it's, um, that it's evolving yep. but from a hardware and a software perspective. And then with the connectivity, it's, it's really mind-blowing. I think of... Um, Mind-blowing is a good word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because mm-hmm. it really is paradigm-shifting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also our understanding of the brain. Mm-hmm. And now it's my belief in our lifetime that we'll have an understanding of consciousness in a way that answers the hard question, <laughs> do you know? Mm-hmm. And, and what is its origin? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's an exciting... Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I do believe that science will get us there in much ways that you know we understand the great mystery of life now mm-hmm. you know. cool from a mystical experience yep. I, uh, I have a few things that I want to touch on sure. from what you talked about um, first is uh, is there a programmatic way to uh, open up and rewire certain belief structures that humans have um, so that's one one thought and the, the other is, where is this technology going um, on a hardware perspective and then from a software and a con- connectivity perspective? Mm. Um, and then, then the third is, what are some of the, um, the things, the potential pitfalls of um, this technology as we, we move forward? Because if it's possible to reprogram someone, mm-hmm. you know, the, the inevitable is that any um, technology that's powerful can be used for uh, the forces of good or the forces of evil, if you want to use those paradigms. Yep. But, um, you know, 
so I'm curious about your perspectives on those those three things. The can can is there a certain recipe for programming? Um, what's the trajectory of hardware, software, and connectivity, and um, what do you see as the potential um, challenges moving forward as these uh, technologies, um, which are really powerful, mm -hmm. um, to to change people's experience of life? Um, the okay, those are great questions. Thank I will you. acknowledge that. Um, I'm not sure I can answer all of them. You know, um, uh, we have some ideas about all areas which I can talk about, mm -hmm. and um, but our our goal is to also investigate and find out some of the answers. The first one, especially, we don't know what we don't know yet, and. Um, there is a body of data and research over the last 20 to 30 years on VR's impact on the brain, um, uh, digital technology and interfaces on the brain, sound and music. and So we are leveraging a lot of that research with some guidance from different neuroscience. Um, yeah, who, who are some of those influences? <coughs> I know you've posted some... Uh, some things about Ghazali and um, and his lab. And ah, his... I love Adam. I yeah. actually met him through Tim Chang. They're very good oh, cool. friends, and I think he is, you know, one of the great minds focusing on this very um, area, and probably much more um, qualified to answer your first question <laughs> than I am for sure. There are people like him and Walter Greenleaf and other people at Stanford. Uh, Skip Rizzo at USC, all of these people have been working in this space and um, our own CTO has a neuroscience and pharmacology background um, that he started off on that journey before giving it all up to be a, a video game developer and now we've brought it all full circle for him. Talking about that life journey, right? Really interesting how things kind of all come together. Um, there, there's uh, a lot of that data is influencing our design choices and as we figure out how to create the sound landscape in TRIP, knowing that there's um, some data on certain sound frequencies that might trigger delta, um, uh, brain states, um, uh, alpha for focus, so we're looking at that. Um, our goal is probably within the next 90 days to take a very rough end-to-end -end experience of the chill trip um, uh, into a lab to understand what's actually happening from a um, you know, scientific, see what we can measure. Our minimum goal with that is to make sure we're not doing anything harmful. Why that's one of the reasons why we focused on chill mm -hmm. first because um, I think when we get into the other trips that we'd like to do, it opens us up to more risk. I think, mm -hmm. um, like amped or pump up mm -hmm. would be one. Um, so let's start with chill and start to get even just define our methodology for testing mm -hmm. and what the measurement is. Um, if we find that the data is indicative of um, having some real impact, um, positive or negative, will go into further validation mm -hmm. on that. Um, and uh, 
so we're definitely, like I said, um, taking each step and then analyzing its impact um, qualitatively right now um, and then uh, in the very near future quantitatively. Um, there are certain things we know from uh, you know, how people experience hallucinogenic drugs and which parts of the brain get lit up and um, how the brain, when it feels unstable, produces patterns. and um, So that those kind of things have influenced our design approaches. Um, but I'm, I'm very anxious to get it into a lab to see the effect. Um, what was the second question? The hardware. Yeah, you know, you have such a uh, unique background with being able to um, see the trends in mobile gaming. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and we talked about, you know, the phone that's attached to a briefcase. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then, so we've got, at this stage, we've got the Vive, we've got Oculus and this high-end hardware, and then we've got cell phones, which can be snapped into headsets or Google Cardboard. And then we um, have a new wave of standalone devices. Yeah, and, so yeah. there's a whole new, a whole new set of augmented reality goggles and um, devices too that are coming out really yeah. powerful. Yeah. Um, where do you see if you if you if we were to draw on a whiteboard a timeline, you know, here we are today, mm -hmm. January two thousand eighteen. Mm -hmm. uh, what's going to happen end of year? What's going to happen two years out? Five years? Ten? Twenty? I mean, you know. Get, get creative even. Sure, so as an entrepreneur, um, I definitely think about this and have some ideas and assumptions that I've um, expressed to our investors and, and, and that we're basing our decisions on. I can talk about our experience at Jammed App Mobile, um, which Zach and I were part of the founding team of that company. It was one of the first really big mobile game companies, and we started off making a multiplayer game on a WAP um, browser, so it was like an old school mobile browser on Nokia phones, and, and it was a huge success in a very, very small market. And we were the first downloadable games on um, feature phones, you know, flip phones. That's and, amazing. And then we were um, uh, we were the very first game company to work with Apple on iPod games. So using the I don't know if you remember the the the, the wheel. wheel, yeah. Yes, <laughs> so we, you know, we put Tetris and Solitaire on there, and then we were part of. We made three of the first five games for the iPhone. So we've seen that. Um, I will say, before the smartphone showed up, we were still able to build a good business. You know, porting across multiple devices. And so we're taking that same approach with VR. We are um, building it in Unity, which helps us um, uh, have some level of standardization. Isn't it such a blessing to have that it's great because platform for porting to multiple devices? Well, we used to do it by brute force oh. at Jamdat, do you know? Yeah. <laughs> when I was building uh, yeah. Swipe, I was... Oh, yeah, you remember. Yeah, it was, for sure. You know, we built on iOS uh, and Xcode and... And then we're like, well, let's release an Android. We realized that we had to totally shift and basically throw away our legacy. Um, and we ended up 
building everything web-based and a light browser um, within mm-hmm. our app that would pull in all the web right. content. Um, so we would just end up submitting to the app store basically a skinnable um, web browser. Mm-hmm. Um, We've know, done things like that yeah, in the past for sure. But it was an interesting learning experience yeah. to invest all this time and code and, yeah. um, and Well, and so imagine that. before Android and iOS, we were doing that uh, across so many thousands of devices, devices that crazy. were, you know, different from mm-hmm. each other. There was no standardization. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. A so we built a lot of technologies to help us, you know, cool. framework to do that. And so yeah, Unity is a piece of cake for us. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the trick for any developer in this space, though, you don't want to um, code to the lowest common denominator, mm-hmm. because if I buy a Vive, I don't want, uh, you know one of the I don't want a cardboard experience mm-hmm. you know to be in that so there's ways that you can abstract the presentation layer from the common mm-hmm. code and um, and I think that's helpful to think of sort of small medium and large that's what we're that's how we're approaching our development now as far as accelerants there there's a few things on the imminent horizon or immediate horizon that I think will help get the um, uh, install base of these HMDs or head-mounted displays to broaden uh, these standalone devices that don't require a, a very expensive gaming computer to power them. And, and we know that there are a few on the horizon right now. Which, which, what, I mean, I know uh, well, we some have of them. Vive but. and Oculus. Um, uh, and then, there, you know, I do also think Microsoft's, um, you know, shipping Windows with native VR and their price point of their um, headsets is actually great. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be great for the industry. Um, and then you have Qualcomm's chipset with the Snapdragon chipset powering a lot of the new Android phones going forward, being VR native. These are, I think, all sort of a major leap forward. Mm-hmm. Um, we still need the form factor to get more comfortable, especially as a female. I don't like wearing these devices, and they leave marks on my face. And not that men don't care about marks on their mm-hmm. face as well, but you know, it's just, it's not comfortable. And I think we have to start to design for comfort. So I actually liked Magic Leap's mm-hmm. kind of steampunky yeah, kind of goggles. Really, really cool design. Yeah, and I think you'll see more evolution of that. We mm-hmm. need to get um, some of the fashion creative people helping these people with design. Uh, uh, <laughs> Do you know? So it's very LA of you. Well, uh. it's so true though. <laughs> When uh, when Mark Jac- Mark Jacobs is involved, I'll be happy. <laughs> nice, yeah, but it has to be nice. very. Um, uh, I I want these devices to be very consumable. Mm-hmm. I can take it out of my desk drawer, put it on, take it off, mm-hmm. or just move in and out mm-hmm. of virtual a complete immersive experience mm-hmm. into an augmented experience into just my current you know, relationship with reality so on in the, the natch. <laughs> in, in the next year, we're going to have augmented reality goggles with that are standalone. 
and virtual, right? Augmented and virtual, and I think that line will blur. You know, it will with the mixed spectrum. reality yeah. for sure. It, I think the blurring will be based on new ways to deal with the you know light bleeding on the sides mm -hmm. um, uh, required for the immersion. Yeah, you interesting know. what Magic Leap's doing by mm -hmm. projecting directly into the retina. Yeah. Um, that's going to be really, I think, transformational for the industry. Right. So th give that about two years, I think. Mm -hmm. We're kind of optimizing our, uh, our product for mobile. Mm -hmm. Gaze is the controller, um, and we're using that through the head movement mm -hmm. right now. But knowing that eye movement will be the next phase that we yeah. have to... Eye tracking is supposed to eye be tracking in a lot of the newer devices. Newer too. devices. So we'll just adjust like yeah. we did at Jamdat to each new hardware um, development. The device of the future, and there could be a day where we actually create our own trip device. I could see maybe down mm -hmm. the road... Um, I would like to see the integration of more neural um, feedback, mm -hmm. stimulation even. Um, so getting built in examples. EEG, some of the electromagnetic uh, stuff that mm -hmm. you know is out there that we're just starting to learn about. Um, yeah. So for our listeners, some previous episodes I did talked a lot about uh, some of the mechanics of modifying neural signals mm -hmm. and um, just for our listeners now EEG is measures brain waves uh, and then you've got different ways of stimulating the brain through transcranial magnetic stimulation yes. direct stimulation and that's and it's safe there's no harm are, are um, some of the effects are unknown still um, true and some of the effects are, are known as um, benign. Mm -hmm. um, and some of them are known as beneficial. Mm -hmm. So with cran transcranial direct stimulation, you stimulate the equivalent of like a nine volt battery and different regions of the brain, which are known, to, for example, the sensory motor cortex to disable or enable um, or scramble the signal so that a, um, a particular movement function or sensory function or even a cognitive function can be disabled or enhanced. And so I can see as these headsets evolve, those tools coming into play. Yes, well. and they're all right now sort of individual devices. And, um, and the other area that there's been a lot of advancement on, which seemed like science fiction just even a few years ago, brain-controlled interfaces. And you look at companies like what Neurable's doing, with the component that can snap on the back of a Vive and you can, through thought, you create in-game actions. And so that is um, really interesting. And the ability to detect mood by understanding which parts of the brain are being um, lit up is also an area that a lot of people are looking at right now. Our goal is not to develop those technologies ourselves, um, but to leverage and work with those people who are. And yeah. as they get integrated into devices or there are APIs we can interface with, we certainly will. In yeah. much the same way we didn't build the um, content delivery system 
for mobile downloads. Yeah, it's an ecosystem, right. and, and in any uh, evolving ecosystem, you've got in, in technology. There's the hardware players, the software players, the distribution channels, mm -hmm. and um, and everybody in between who makes it happen. Within any given company, there's salespeople, there's marketing, there's biz dev, there's technologists, there's operations, and and so you know it's like finding where we can give our gifts in this evolving ecosystem I like the I like the way you said that where we fit in yeah where we can give our gifts and I one of the things I love about you know the blockchain crypto community is that concept concept of uh, decentralization and doing things uh, at the app layer or the contract mm -hmm. layer and you know it's it I think it's just we haven't even really thought about how to apply that yet in um, different ways of approaching software development. Mm -hmm. it, but this this conflict of here's my walled garden agenda, mm -hmm. you know, and this whole emerging community of software developers thinking in a more decentralized way. I think um, again another emerging. Um, shift and it's mm -hmm. a shift in consciousness mm -hmm. you know when you think about it um, absolutely it, 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 yeah. It, yeah it gets rid of all these um, uh, vulture kind of well, it goes third of, party middlemen and yeah it, it's a it's a different paradigm for operating in the world mm -hmm. when we believe that we're safe mm -hmm. that we have everything we need mm -hmm. and that we're here to create mm -hmm. and share mm -hmm. and that we can do that in a collaborative environment with uh, with like-minded people and that's a completely different operation it's completely from, revolutionary and I think disruptive too well and it's a it could be another evolution of consciousness where um, you know if we look at humanity over time who knows what other civilizations experienced we only have some archaeological records but who knows what mm. states of um, of health and happiness the individuals were at and the collective were experiencing um, Joseph Campbell's work I'm a big fan of, mm -hmm. of his stuff and he you know he talks about how in the Orient the um, and in other old civilizations there was no individual the individual didn't exist and to think about there wasn't a concept of me. There was a concept of this organism, this mm -hmm. this tribe, this culture, mm -hmm. and um, that's a really interesting perspective. I feel like these modern um, uh, perspectives on currency, on value exchange, mm -hmm. um, in the crypto world, are there. You know, cryptocurrency is a big buzzword. It's kind of blown up in the last couple. You know, Indeed. couple of months. I camped with the. Um, with the Camp Decentral guys at Burning Man. Oh, cool. And, and you know, I was listening to um, um, my friend Playa named Santa, who started... Uh, <laughs> Mine is serotonin, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> <laughs> who started this, uh, this camp, and he was talking about all the different ways that um, cryptocurrency can be used. It's not just a, um, you know, you think of a dollar that's completely uh, transferable for any product or good or service. Uh, it's more like you can actually write detailed value exchange into the contract. Oh yeah. And um, yeah, we we think about money as an energetic exchange. It's a totally different. I'm, I, there are certain things that I've been thinking about a lot in that arena, which is incentives. 
um, trustless, mm. you know, um, which doesn't mean distrust. Mm-hmm. Do you know? It's, um, and is it transcending trust? Yes, that's kind of how I think about mm-hmm. it, that it's just really a facilitation, mm-hmm. you know, and if you agree, then it moves forward. And this idea that certain things can't be reversed as well, that it's a commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the things that I find really fascinating about it. Yeah, that's really fun. That's a fun framework to think about. Yeah, so, um, you know, stay tuned for how that could integrate itself into what we're doing, but I'm curious. Um, I'm definitely thinking about it. I'm curious, uh, you know, our conversations, we still, I still want to get back to the focus of the three questions. Yeah, and, so the last one is the, the harmful, you know, do. Well, yeah, it feels like maybe this is a good trajectory into how VR can help us humans feel more connected. I feel like we evolved uh, as an animal and a species to um, thrive in, in a community, in a tribe. And a lot of the um, technologies that are, are that we've built have enabled us to... Um, to remove ourselves from that connected state with each other, um, to isolate. And right. so I'm curious what you think, if you think, how, how this technology might impact our, our connectedness as a community, our sense of belonging as individuals. Well, I'll talk about it specifically on our thoughts from, as a product team, but also just holistically. Um, I had the good fortune of being very good friends with Brendan, the um, former CEO of Oculus. And we worked together at a company called Gaikai that Sony bought for the PlayStation Now um, uh, service, a cloud gaming company. And so as a result, I got to participate a little bit in the funding of the first um, uh, funding wave for Oculus. And... Uh, so I was very interested in um, VR as a, a way to experience reality and um, new versions of reality. Um, when we started, Zach and I started to build a game um, just for fun. We built a haunted house solitaire game in VR, and uh, it's live on the app stores. We kind of use it as our SDK right now. We started to notice that this feeling of retreating or unplugging when we were testing our game, that really is what led us to um, uh, this idea to create Trip. We started investigating the effect of um, VR on the brain. And so right now, I see it as a really interesting vehicle to unplug. Unplug yeah. from the noise of your life in a, in a way where at its basic level you can go to a destination um, that kind of shuts out the world around mm-hmm. you and that there is some kind of respite involved with that. So as we focus on our product development, first and foremost, we are looking at the efficacy of a trip on how it benefits you specifically. But, you know, I ran multiplayer at um, EA and online services. Zach and I both came from 
a mobile communication messaging application right before we started Trip, a company called Text Plus. Um, and our first product together was a multiplayer game on mobile phones back when that just seemed like an insane concept. That um, So I see a future of community-generated trips, etc. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know what that looks like just yet, mm-hmm. but it's on our roadmap. Mm-hmm. How do we expose our toolkit to the community and let them create objects for trips and, mm-hmm. and, and share trips? Definitely on the horizon. Um, Oculus being bought by Facebook, not as a gaming platform, I'm sure the intent was to change the way that we communicate and experience social engagements. And um, to me, I think that will ultimately be one of the killer apps, Mm -hmm. um, a new way to communicate uh, with presence, Mm -hmm. you know, um, even though we might be very distant. And so just facilitating that, and just like everything that we've experienced in the last 10 years technically, you get it in front of people, and then they will turn it into something else. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at um, how texting emerged, <laughs> you know, and evolved or devolved, yeah. right? Yeah. So I see benefits to it. Obviously, there um, is a period of adjustment. Um, people can abuse all of these things, just like you can play video games addictively. Um, you can be connected to your phone in a way that at the exclusion of the world around you mm-hmm. and um, you can have a glass of wine or a bottle yeah or two <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> right and so um, that is uh, um, but it also facilitates great conversation look at the world right now you know people will say oh it's horrible what's happening in the world when you actually look at it historically, it's the best time to be a human. You know, we're living longer, we're not stepping over piles of body that have been bodies that have been decimated by the plague, like people were in, in Europe, you know, when 40% of the population was piled up around you, you know. Um, but because we have this ability to see what's happening in the world in a way and communicate and broadcast it very rapidly. We see the inhumanity, um, uh, you know, the inhumane activities and, and, and we can be outraged, mm. you know, and we can um, just be outraged and yell about it and rant and rave or we can start to take action to change it. Um, but it's that transparency that's been facilitated by social media. Um, I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. You, know, you look at the Me Too movement and what's happening there. Um, it has you know, it's a very volatile conversation and very polarizing. But it's a conversation mm-hmm. <laughs> that's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a female who has had to navigate this world and that landscape, I'm very grateful the conversation's happening, Mm. you know, and I know it's difficult for a lot of people. At some point we'll settle on something that's more of a, it's really just about respect, Mm. 
But it started with this groundswell of a hashtag. Yeah, the the social connectedness framework was really um, put out there by the emergence of the internet. Yes. And then layered on top of the internet, there are these communication platforms. So when I was a teenager, I'm 39 now, when I was a teenager, I was um, really interested in computers and Mm -hmm. how they... Well, like I was a horrible um, hand. My handwriting was horrible. And oh my, right. My spelling was was really horrible growing up. <laughs> so you did those which typing is, which tutorials. Is, now I call it a sign of creativity. You know, I can spell a word in fifty different ways. But mm-hmm. um, but with with word processing, it was um, it was just it was so valuable to to learn how to type and mm-hmm. be able to print a report out. And mm-hmm. like, oh great, you know. Um, so with the internet. Uh, and that's a segue into I got. Um, into uh, bulletin board systems. Me too, BBS, and, and playing games on them yeah, after so, hours. I did the same thing. So one of the first, I grew up in Monterey, California, and our first um, our first local BBS, this is when computers would talk directly to other computers. Yeah. Um, you know, you'd have a big... And you'd get the passcodes. Like, it's usually somebody's yeah. dad and worked so at a we company. Would have, <laughs> we would have uh, meetups, in-person Me meetups. Me too, yeah. Um, where we'd have the Monterey Gaming System was our BBS, uh-huh. and we'd all meet up, and it was maybe 15, 20 geeks, basically, yeah. um, that would get together and With share. With 800 BPS modem. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, or, I mean, I think 14.4 and yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a little older than <laughs> Coming on, but, um, but yeah, you know, and these computers would talk to one another, and You'd have to unplug the phone, you know, or get a separate phone line dedicated. Yeah, for sure. Um, so anyway, that was the that was the pre our standards. Of but isn't internet. that how you learn technology? Oh, it's you know, great. It's great. I learned, you know, I would go on to these IRC channels, mm-hmm. you know, to learn how to build or connect to a gaming server, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, uh, doing different mods and. It, it was the beginning of all of that. I was into a lot of muds and you know things like that, but it got my brain going. And I also liked the helpfulness of the community, mm-hmm. you know, until they found out you were a girl, and then it all changed. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, well, well, my trajectory of thought there is that like the connectivity layer emerged with computers enabling connection by people who never would have met and, and potentially right. in another way and and then that connectivity layer is so broad now that I mean you have to go specifically to places where there isn't connectivity if you want to avoid it and, and then that's and, almost and it's almost it's it will very soon be there won't be a square meter on the earth that doesn't have a mm-hmm. signal and and you know that's could be next year um, mm-hmm. that that's the case. Mm-hmm. What's fascinating about that connectivity layer is it's so broad and so so deep. And so as we evolve different applications and ways of interfacing with each other, that seems to be like the next um, the next level of emergence. Uh, and so I think of the layers of communication being okay. So we had. Um, gaming system, Monterey gaming system, which was a bulletin board chat system, and then we had um, listservs, you yeah. know, and then we had um, CompuServe and AOL, where 
email actually became the dominant platform for communication. Yeah. Email trans, you know, uh, transferred into business, and then you did away with faxing and memos, and um, and so the email is still a pretty dominant form of communication, and then. Mm -hmm. Facebook as a social platform mm -hmm. connected everybody and people that emerged and very influential as we're seeing and oh. really starting to understand. Yeah. And when you combine it with the Data Foundation, um, I was reading an article recently where Facebook can pretty accurately now detect when someone is about to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the data is you know, there. Yeah, and, and they're trying to figure out what is their response to it. Mm -hmm. They might even be able to detect it before the person understands that there's certain pattern recognition to the posting and the words used. Uh, yeah. Very powerful. And now we're getting all these devices that are voice recognizing in the home. Yep. Alexa and Google and all these... Um, and you know they're they're listening and, and the information is super valuable to advertisers to um, anyone who wants to sell a product well we all need to be very mindful of that as mm -hmm. well because it makes us vulnerable to manipulation absolutely well you and I both come from uh, marketing and digital marketing mm -hmm. um, backgrounds and mm -hmm. it's to me it's the same formula to sell someone as it um, a product as it is a state of mind mm -hmm. as it is to sell them um, um, a paradigm well and that you know this is also something I've been thinking of that we have been skewed for a long time maybe it started with Freud to look at ourselves through the lens of how damaged we are mm. or what's wrong with us. You can see people turn everything into a, a syndrome or if I'm overly neat, I just very casually say, oh, I'm OCD, like I give myself a disorder, self-diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And you know, and this is, there are people who actually really do have severe disorders in that area, but we casually self-diagnose ourselves with because we're just trained to look at ourselves through the lens of what's wrong. Mm -hmm. Going back to your second question, can we use these technologies in VR in ways to enhance and evolve the more positive attributes mm -hmm. of what it means to be human? Empathy, compassion, mm -hmm. connectivity is really the gateway to a lot of that, a sense of mm -hmm. belonging. But we have to be careful, you can see how quickly that devolves into tribalism. Mm -hmm. and, and sort of nationalistic thinking. Mm -hmm. um, you know, having a tribe is good. People live longer when they have community. But then you start to get into this, these tribal doctrines mm -hmm. of this is what we believe mm -hmm. against your tribe. <laughs> Do you mm -hmm. know? And yeah, so, I think the against um, is a really important word because it could, it could be a with. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it could With, be right. Yeah, it could it could be an and, not an or. Well, we're seeing the global communication platform right now. It really exposes the polarizing points of view, and you know. Well, it it, it amplifies. It, it not does. Only, not only does it expose them, but it actually, I feel like there's an amplification process mm -hmm. um, for that polarity um, because humans, bless our hearts, often think in terms of binary, right or wrong, yes or no. Yeah, it's a dualistic it's a very, brain. It's a very, um, relatively speaking, um, more conditioned way 
to to operate um, in a in a mechanical framework. Yeah, and and going back to something you said earlier of the me me me. There's when you apply that 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 lens of just looking at the world on how everything's impacting you, and then you have this broadcasting platform. Um, uh, it it's creating a lot of toxic um, content, <laughs> do you know? And colleges used to be the arena where everyone was more forward thinking, you know, in the universities. But now it seems like everyone's more focused on creating a safe place for themselves mm -hmm. that they're rejecting other points of view. Mm -hmm. And then we're surprised when someone like Donald Trump, you know, ascends to a, a, a leadership position. And there were a lot of people who supported that, but we weren't hearing that voice, mm -hmm. you know? And mm -hmm. so. You know, not to make it a political conversation, but it really, um, I think the, the communication platform is very powerful. So how do we get more conscious mm -hmm. um, outflow of... Yeah, yeah politics is, is one of the currencies of civilization. And yeah. so, you know, it's, it's a fair, fair thing to bring in. Currency is. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. a fair thing to, to bring into yeah. the conversation. I, well, I'm, it just shows the powerful um, nature of the medium. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'm super excited at, uh, I call, um, I was talking about the evolution of these platforms layered on top of the infrastructure of communication and, you know, from social media, we're still operating uh, with text and with some voice mm -hmm. and some, maybe some emojis. Uh, throw it in there for good measure <laughs> right. um, and we're operating in, in a relatively flat environment in a relatively two-dimensional environment our brains I believe are symbolic systems so we operate and communicate in symbols words or symbols we're actually um, and I believe that we organize thought into spatial structures mm -hmm. um, not only that but in our um, and this may be not uh, in agreement with some of our listeners out there who are more um, hard science-based, but I believe that we are living in a, a hologram body that is a construct of our, our minds and that, in fact, we um, store emotional content and experiences in a, what's called a psychosomatic way or in, in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And um, there is a deeper knowledge of... Of memory in this living tissue that we have um, that is goes beyond um, using the brain as a hard drive I think our whole body is the equivalent of a hard drive so as we enter into what I call embodied computing or spatial computing um, the realm of virtual reality which virtual reality is is going to enable it opens up a whole new realm of using symbols for uh, manipulation of thought and I, right before you walked up I was looking at something Zach was proposing for a trip and, and uh, we had that conversation it was a symbol um, that you could experience in a three-dimensional or a 360 way and um, I wanted to understand the origin of that symbol and 
Um, yeah, so we're, we're definitely in sync with that. Um, our goal is not to simulate this world in VR, which I think a lot of people have been, are, the initial content development strategy has been about that. It, what it does is it's somewhat disturbing to the brain in the sense that you get that uncanny valley approach where you're trying to identify what's wrong mm -hmm. with the environment, you know, because you understand it's a sim, right? We may be living in a sim. Some people, some very smart people are, you know, um, thinking about that. Um, but our brain is not consciously looking for what's wrong with the shared hallucination hallucination that we're um, uh, mm. all experiencing. Someone you know? called it a negativity bias, um, which I thought was an interesting mm. word for that, what's wrong. Yeah. It's uh, it's one of the ways believed by a certain, I can't remember the uh, her name, she's a, a researcher um, on health, and she said that humans have a negativity bias, uh, which means that it's we're... It's probably a survival mechanism, Exactly, right? and yeah. she believes that it was some one of the things that helped us get where we are. It's yeah. like... If we're constantly scanning the environment for the saber-toothed tiger, then and more, more so more so than someone else, then we're gonna you know we're gonna project our DNA into the future. And natural selection has exactly. created a whole society of those people. Yeah, right? well, and it and it can. I have personal experience with that going awry, where you amp one amps up their brain and they run a lot of power through their brain, their mind, their being. Um, then if that program kind of uh, goes on too too strongly right it can cut um, you out of a lot of life yeah and yeah. it can basically um, cause a computer crash or, yeah. or a meltdown or a burnout right. so what you were talking about what's what's wrong it reminded me of one of my um, insights where I thought oh I need to think of what's right and it's sort of this, this yeah. same as the gratitude uh, prayer, gratitude, Yeah, loving kindness, and, yeah. and it starts with yourself, too. We have to start to mm -hmm. see ourselves through this more positive lens. But mm -hmm. as video game developers, you know, we've been dealing with that uncanny valley, kind of mm -hmm. what makes a person think this is wrong. In VR, that gets about amplified. Mm -hmm. and it seems like everything gets amplified. It does. When, you, when you increase the sensory experience for in this sure. three-dimensional space so our approach is to bypass that and create a stimulation not a simulation you know because nice. I like that. that's a great quote <laughs> this is um, uh, uh, a, a method to create new realities your brain creates memories in VR we don't really understand what the long-term impact of that is but because you're experiencing it you do store that information and so with what we're doing we're, we're investigating that that's the commitment of our company is to investigate that which leads me finally to your third question which is how do we do this without um, you know people could also do harmful things um, I will say it's funny you know I just recently moved to the west side of LA from the east side and the east side's the tattoo quotient's a lot higher than mm -hmm. this part of town uh -huh. and um, and my emo friends on the east side were asking me, could you create some bad trips? You know, I would really like that. <laughs> oh, well, I guess we could, right? You know, but to what, what effect? Um, I think that some, There will be people who do that. Absolutely. Sure. Oh, I mean... For video, sure. Video games are a perfect example of it. You know, mm -hmm. it's... Um, 
Yeah, fear sells. Fear, fear, fear. The first wave of VR content is all horror. Well, it, it, it um, it's addicting. Mm-hmm. So it's biochemically addicting mm-hmm. to have fear. Um, we, we release the same chemicals that make us feel good uh, when we elicit a fear response. And so it's actually, it's backwards thinking, but there's some survival benefit to experiencing fear and then having the release after fear. No, there are some very effective applications out currently to allow you to face your fears. And because your brain knows that it's not real because you've, you've, you've created, you, you've committed Mm -hmm. to having the experience. You've put it on your head. You know, it's not a real world experience that it's not a real spider mm-hmm. so you can look at the spider and deal with your fear and through exposure therapy yeah. very effective that's not our goal with trip mm-hmm. right now um, it we may find there's ways to integrate that that could be transformative we'll, we'll definitely investigate that there's a few things we do have some concerns of what we're creating has the potential to be addictive in nature because we're delivering the experience from the server we can detect mm-hmm. patterns of abuse and usage etc and then we'll figure out how to deal with that um, as as we see it emerge and um, that that's the beauty of having data and it being a software experience um, but I think as a, a, a company we are dedicated to not doing any harm. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to create a force for good, mm-hmm. and we want our service to be a facilitator of that. We want to be part of that conversation. So um, first and foremost, we're going to make sure that what we're doing is not harmful um, through whatever tools we have available mm-hmm. to us to do that. We won't go to market until we at least have some level of confidence mm-hmm. in that um, statement, um, but yeah, it's powerful. You know, if we can calm you down, certainly um, the potential for damage is also there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? And then we don't know how it'll affect young minds. Not not just trip, but in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was a, a, a report out of UCLA. I was looking at um, just even the impact on vision mm-hmm. in in a young person um, that's still evolving and their brains are still evolving. Um, we do know though from the video game industry that even though there was a lot of noise on, you know, video games are bad for children, the actual data doesn't equate video games with direct acts of violence. And we do have a lot of evidence that spatial reasoning skills get improved by people who play games. I certainly have had my own direct experience with an interest in technology emerging from playing video games, which as a female, I think we need more um, uh, girls, you know, um, seeing themselves as makers as well, Mm. which is something that little girls who play Minecraft are now growing up and wanting to get into computer science because they see themselves as makers and mm-hmm. um, it's important. And so I think there are some positive attributes that don't get talked about as much publicly because mm-hmm. it's kind of easy to market negativity to helicopter parents. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you helicopter know, parents, yeah. 
Um, but, uh, you know, we also have to make sure that we don't have contempt prior to investigation, that mm. we really look at things without, um, I mean, it's hard. Everybody looks at everything with confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. Be nice to not have contempt at all. <laughs> yeah, but I think it goes back to what you're saying that we're kind of hardwired to see what's going to kill us, yeah, right? Definitely. You know, looking for that saber-toothed tiger. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, it's it, the the data actually shows that um, game mechanics, just using game mechanics in a game. Um, are ways of engaging the mind. I believe that resource the, management, yeah. uh, understanding of economy, mm-hmm. um, even just how I strategically design my loadout, mm-hmm. right, to survive in the in the game. Yeah, uh, all of that is a, a way to think that's important. It seems like games have traditionally been used for entertainment value mm-hmm. and not that entertainment is bad it's uh, I'm curious as to what the content of the entertainment does to the mind and how it shifts um, the recipients perspectives subliminal um, desires and messages that mm. are that are implanted so mm. um, yeah game gaming in and of itself almost seems like uh, a mechanical process. Oh, for sure, and um, it's a it's a, a reward center exactly. stimulation. Exactly, sure. exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, what's exciting with with VR is that it can be embodied. I brought my um, my Vive set up to my sister's house recently. Um, and Did she's you have to got, bring a U-Haul for that? Uh, no, you're right. No, I got I got you know, Hire a contractor. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, it takes 10 minutes to set up with a laptop and, mm-hmm. and everything, but um, I got it going, and, and her uh, her son, her oldest son, he's maybe 14, I don't know, he's 16 or, seven, 16 or 17 now, gosh. Um, but, you know, he's a first-person shooter, and, I mean, he, he loves first-person shooters. Right. Now, to get him into a VR experience, and I gave him uh, this... Uh, you know, shooting game where you're shooting um, alien spaceships, you mm-hmm. know, robots. Um, and to see this kid getting off of his chair and moving and dodging bullets and being embodied and, dodging, you know, dodging laser beams and, um, like, all of a sudden, I could see the value beyond just the... Um, entertainment the, value. The entertainment value. This was getting this um, really, really smart kid um, off of the chair and he's you know he's a pretty big guy um, and moving mm-hmm. and so he spends 80% of his free time maybe 90 sitting down playing this game to get him moving in an environment where now all of a sudden he's engaging a lot more of his mind if my thesis that the mind is actually uh, also in the entire body um, then he's he's engaging a lot more of his his mind in this process, which mm-hmm. is really exciting to me. Well, and the, I remember reading a report a while back on uh, shooters specifically, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. increasing your ability to um, think on your feet. Yeah. Uh, when you play multiplayer games, it was a great um, article in Harvard Business Review once of. It creating leadership skills and having the potential to create the CEOs of the future. Uh-huh. And, uh, I, and I saw that anecdotally um, 
not scientifically evidence with um, my late husband's grandson who uh, was, you know, playing Call of Duty and directing 40-year-old men around. <laughs> Do you know? I think he was eight, lying and saying he was 13. Do you know to get in there? But, uh, you know, and he's an exceptional kid, and he's not violent by nature, and, um, and he's grown up playing those games. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely think that you look at what Adam Ghazali is doing with Akili Interactive and creating video games that help children with ADHD and focus problems or, or elderly people with late life depression. Um, late, there's definitely something there mm -hmm. and we just have to maybe be a little more open-minded to it. Um, Putting our uh, marketer hats back on. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's I'm, been a while. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I see my one of my missions for this podcast uh, is to uh, to bring the voices of of uh, really wise people like yourself. Thank you, I appreciate that. Who, who are um, s developing tools for for good, for health, for healing, and good is of course a relative perspective, but right. uh, in alignment with my sense of good in the world. Um, and one of the questions that I've been curious about is how are, uh, who is going to reach what market segments? Mm. So not only we can, we can divide up markets, uh, which are basically like people, right? Um, so how are we going to reach uh, younger generations, how are we going to reach um, different income levels, uh, different language uh, backgrounds, um, and geographic, um, you know, segments? How are we going to reach those people who have very different life experiences with um, valuable healing tools? And one of the thoughts I had was, okay, so how are we going to get this into mainstream healthcare, mm -hmm. um, which is a a very uh, dualistic, um, you know, by nature it, it sort of evolved that way, but how, how for example, could we get an HMO to pay for a VR healing experience, similar to how HMOs have kind of moved into accepting that acupuncture and some of the more alternative um, treatments of chiropractics, etc., are actually have a better long-term effects than some of the um, traditional Western surgical approaches? Well, there, it's a great question. There's a lot of advancement in that area happening right now. Just to um, clarify, we're not making any therapeutic claims or medical claims until we have deep validation to do that. I think it's irresponsible and certainly people in the past have done that, um, made all kinds of claims. We'd like to be more evidence-based in that and understand the path to that. It is a path we would love to take. Mm -hmm. And if we can step into that arena and provide more healthful alternatives to changing your mood state rather than through chemicals, mm -hmm. which you know the efficacy on those things are somewhat questionable, um, then we'll definitely go down that route. Um, there are companies like Paratherapeutics that um, has received a lot of funding that that is their goal and they're making some advancement there. What Adam's doing 
um, at UCSF and with Achille Interactive, definitely. Um, so it's happening and I'm excited about it and if we can participate in that arena we definitely will. Sounds like you're riding the the wellness entertainment um, sort of bridging those wellness and for entertainment. For now, for entertainment. sure. Yeah. yeah, for now. Which is a fairly unregulated um, mm -hmm. industry and that's great because it means that potentially there's a lot of innovation that can happen in that space without needing to appeal to governing bodies for um, for approval. Correct. And uh, again, we will do it though with guidance mm -hmm. from uh, um, medical, technical, scientific um, uh, pe people and institutions. What I really like about that approach is, is you're potentially reaching a segment of the market of civilization that might not recognize that they have some challenges that um, a lot of other market segments would have the resources, for example, to go and see a therapist or to go and see uh, a doctor. Um, they might not, um, this other market segment that might be more focused on entertainment might actually receive a lot of health benefit from uh, using a product like yours. Yeah, I think um, uh, we can leverage a lot of the research on um, stress reduction and um, uh, if we can allow you to sync wearables to our experience so you can see the impact on heart rate, um, I think that in and of itself is, is viable you know, to start off with. Can we get you into an experience that gets you mindfully present in the moment. Meditation in and of itself as a deep practitioner is very difficult for a lot of people. It is very difficult. And so could we be a gateway to that? Um, uh, maybe just to get you the ability to put on a headset, experience trip in a way that just lowers maybe your anger level in that moment in real time. So our focus from a marketing standpoint is just to focus on the benefits of it and present that to the demographics that we're targeting. Initially it'll be the install base of the VR um, app stores, um, but eventually we will go direct to consumer and create um, uh, trip retail experiences that people could go in and, and try it out cool. and and then hopefully we can help them get into a low-cost device and and that's preloaded with our um, our service on it that's and awesome so you know we want to extend beyond it but just focus on the benefits of it VR is the current method of delivery yeah trip in the swimming pool. I was uh, talking to, uh, to Skip the other day, Skip Rizzo. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, I met he, him at Stanford, at an event at Stanford. Oh, I yeah. He's too. a yeah. brilliant clinician mm -hmm. and an early adopter of these technologies. Mm -hmm. He showed me these, these goggles somebody had uh, hacked together, just simple like diver's goggles with um, some arms coming off the front and an OtterBox type um, uh, interface. 
in the front where you could clip in a phone and they had recorded uh, dolphins in the Red Sea mm. uh, in a three-dimensional environment and so you put on this headset goggles basically which is a headset and then you're swimming around with goggles with mm. dolphins excuse me in, in how did the, it feel to you um, I actually didn't I didn't, oh, experience, you didn't try it? I didn't try it um, but amazing really concept and like the therapeutic benefits of that could be tremendous. Oh, yeah. He's, know, like, he's done some really interesting things. I saw at Stanford he had shown this AI therapist. Did he talk to you about that? Yeah, I just posted that uh, the other day. I posted my talk with him. On, yeah, on well, and, and that people actually were more open with the AI therapist because they um, didn't feel the judgment of another human. It's amazing, right? Well, when I tell when I told that to some of my psychiatric community friends, they lost their cookies on that. <laughs> you know, they had all these. I said, "Well, no, but it, it you the, know, the there, there's data it. is the yeah. data." <laughs> yeah. So we'll we'll have our own version of data showing so you know, what the results are. It, I that's the one thing I love about software development. You know, and yeah. you don't even have to be that smart. <laughs> you just Get you just have to be able to instrument for data collection and then analyze and it's and a, then evolve. It's still a, it's a skill, um, and I don't think everyone has that skill. I'm excited that you do um, because I can see the goodness in your uh, intention. And oh, uh, thank you. I'm excited for what you guys are going to bring out into the world as your creative gifts. Thank you so much, Sandra. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Nanea Reeves, co-founder of Trip Inc. Uh, thank you for joining us on our show today. You are very welcome. Thank you for asking me. Okay. <laughs> thank you for joining us on ConsciousFounders.org. Org. I really enjoyed this conversation with Nanea. Uh, she's so graceful and just a genuine pleasure to speak with. Uh, if you like this show and you would enjoy sharing it with others, please do. That's uh, the number one way that our podcast is uh, shared, word of mouth, uh, consciousfounders.org. If you'd like to learn more about Nanea and her company, check out Trip. That's T-R-I-P-P dot C-O-M. And as always, stay healthy.